Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And I am also drinking a Bad Elmer's Porter from Upland Brewing Company. Is that your nickname? You're Jody and? Yes. You're drinking a Bad Elmer's Porter from? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it's mostly the also part that threw me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I had to throw it in there because as, as we were talking just a couple of minutes ago, right before we started this, <laughs> your, your beer is going to lead into what we're actually doing. Well, kind of, kind of, yeah, yeah. kind of. Um, but I, I will give kudos to Upland's Bad Elmer's Porter because it is really good. It, it is not bad. Yeah. How'd you like it? It's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's not bad. Except that, you know, it's bad Elmer's. See, Elmer's bad. The Porter's not. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of naughtiness makes it so much tastier <laughs> and and elmer is wearing a bowler hat and that kind of makes me want one and then i realize how stupid i'd look in one and i talk myself out of it i don't know he <laughs> might be okay john bonham pulled it off yeah but he was john bonham well, I'm, I'm not saying you're cool as john bonham <laughs> i'm saying i'm not as cool as john bonham <laughs> yeah well yes let's go before we start comparing how cool we are to members of bands <laughs> Because yeah. all the answers will be not very. <laughs> so what are you drinking? I am drinking from Guinness Open Gate Brewery, which is the new United States, Baltimore, Maryland, Guinness Brewery. Ah, the Over the Moon Milk Stout. Ooh, that sounds good. All right, now as to why this beer goes along with our concept idea episode thing. Yeah. I, I will get to momentarily. But... We've not really talked about this much. We just thought about it the other day, and we were thinking, we mentioned H.P. Lovecraft a bazillion times. Yeah. So, well, a few anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout the eons, when the old gods arose, even back then, Jody and James discussed. (laughs) In in an episode that has not been out yet, (laughs) even though it was recorded over a year ago. (laughs) So we thought we'd, uh, moving on, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that we would talk about our favorite H.P. Lovecraft story. Yes. And you know what? I do, we, but tell us anyway. We have not told each other what stories we are talking about, but I know we each have a different one. <laughs> I am fairly certain we do. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I seem to remember a long time ago, maybe... Well, no, not because I've been editing that episode and not when we recorded that episode. But at one point, you and I have discussed what our favorite ones were. <laughs> we, we have. And, and I don't remember I, yours, but I am pretty sure it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I seem to remember we, we both had different ones. So <laughs> so this will right. be enlightening for us as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, very. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, would you like me to go first? Yes. Okay, mine was written by... Howard Phillip, in January, February 1932, first published uh-huh. in the July 1933 issue of Weird Tales. I, of course, didn't get it through Weird Tales in 1933, because although I am a time-traveling immortal vampire, <laughs> I uh, somehow missed that one episode. <clears throat> <laughs> but one of the very first books I got uh, with H.P. Lovecraft, just a collection of his stories, this was in it, and loved it, and you'll see why soon but it is called The Dreams in the Witch House. That is a very good book or story. I, I like it a lot. I guess HP did not care for it very much. And uh, August uh, Derleth did not think it was going to be great. 
but he, he went ahead and uh, sent it to Weird Tales for his friend anyway, and that's how it got published, because HP <laughs> wasn't going to. Didn't really think it's great. Uh, somebody wanted to make a radio drama out of it, and HP said no, because he didn't think it would transfer very well. He didn't really like radio dramatizations of horror stories anyway, mm -hmm. and this wasn't his favorite thing, so he said no. So it wasn't the best, and even critics have panned it a fair bit, but I, uh, I enjoyed it immensely, and you'll see why. Basically, it is a young man who goes to college at Arkham University, the, <laughs> uh, uh -huh. or goes to Arkham to Miskatonic University, sorry. Yes. The, you know, so if you've read any H.P. Lovecraft, any university things, typically Miskatonic, uh, but he goes to do mathematics. And I, of course, have degrees in mathematics. <laughs> so I'm, I start reading it. I think it's really cool. Uh, this young man's name is Walter Gilman. And I'm going to give a brief little snippet because as we, I kind of talk about this, I'll give a small snippet of who the characters are and what they look like and sound like to give you a wee taste of the spooky aura that HP gave. Ooh. So for Gilman, the dreams were wholly beyond the pale of sanity and Gilman felt that they must be a result jointly of his studies in mathematics and in folklore. He had been thinking too much about the vague regions which his formula told him must lie beyond the three dimensions we know, and about the possibility that old Keziah Mason, guided by some influence past all conjecture, had actually found the gate to those regions. Mm. Yeah. It's that confluence of mathematics and folklore. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this, this speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> what he does is, there's this old witch from the Salem Witch Trial Times who escaped her cell and she'd actually told people in Salem that she could do so through the use of mathematics, that certain arcs and formula could actually get her out of the three dimensions and slip her out and then she could come back in. And he'd read this and he went to the university and he went through the book stacks and into the special book collections and started learning this. Mm -hmm. And he get, he gets a little sick he gets a fever you know as he's doing this he doesn't do well then all of a sudden he starts doing really well in math but he did this because of this witch and he actually found the house where she was where she lived and took a room there there there's some interesting characters who go to one of his classmates also lives there there's an older gentleman who's constantly praying trying to keep things from outside of space and time out that's not the term <laughs> used but Interesting, as I'll get out to me, how they he used this formula to try to make this sort of you can go on beyond the, the 3D realms and, and go to different areas. And in the book, you actually, the, uh, the witch and Gilman, and, you know, they travel to like across space and time into other areas. And I'm going to read a section on that in a second. But HP actually had gone to some talks and had read some books and articles on this actual phenomena and that's very similar to what you know when you see star trek and they talk about wormholes and things like that that is kind of related so want, want to throw that, that there as a context Ooh, drink i, I am so yeah so yes yeah, so, i mean you know when hp is writing you know this is the early 30s it seems like a long time ago to us but this is the time of einstein it's close to the atomic bomb ties, you yeah. know, the decade yeah. off. So mm -hmm. this isn't like it's way back in the past, although we think about this time as sort of being odd. 
it's not. <laughs> and, and he actually mentions Einstein in there, and he talks about how this witch was doing things that even people like Einstein, and he mentions other people, and this witch is better. <laughs> <laughs> and as a note on that mathematical thing, I, I've never brought it up because I actually don't think about it much, but about 15 years ago, I wrote a book. One of the characters in the book who I, of course, this is my first book, so I used friends as sort of templates for things. Uh, oh. One of the main characters is based off of me and does the math. Uh, he doesn't do the time traveling things, but he learns formula that can sort of do quantum things that makes things lucky for him or, or you know, sort of thing. So I, I used a bit of HP's idea and made it different, but I definitely did use this as a basis. Cool. Now, as far as the witch that I'd mentioned, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I is here no because no, no, I am Mason no <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> no, that was perfect <laughs> uh, so the dreams were meanwhile getting to be atrocious in the lighter preliminary phase the evil old woman was now a fiendish distinctness and Goma knew she was the one who had frightened him in the slums her bent back Long nose and shriveled chin were unmistakable, and her shapeless brown garments were like those he remembered. The expression on her face was one of hideous malevolence and exultation, and when he awakened, he could recall a croaking voice that persuaded and threatened. Ooh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she's got this insidious thing going on in the whole story, and she also has this little familiar called Brown Jenkin, who's a, a rat, but it's not just a rat. He's a large brown furry rat with a human face and the front paws are more like hands uh, there are stories of on may day and halloween of him nuzzling people who live in the house getting sustenance from their blood and stuff and, and he plays a part in it there's a um, i don't remember where they're from there's a black metal band named brown jenkins i was not impressed <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're, we're eventually going to do a uh, story on Tolkien and metal, like yeah. metal that's influenced by him. And there are many, many great bands out there that took influence from him and many, many bands that suck. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and, and you could probably say the same for Lovecraft, that there's quite a few bands that have taken inspiration from him too. And Yeah, and we could do that pretty easy. Yeah. The, the distortion was cranked up so high on the guitars that you could almost not make out anything but distortion. I mean, you could barely tell that there were different notes it was just almost all yeah. just what i remember listening to it i only listened to it a couple of times and went wow it looks like they're based out of austin texas they're only active from 2006 to 2008 and so i'd mentioned that gilman goes into the other realm like he actually when he's asleep he starts to have these dreams of the witch and her familiar getting closer and closer and closer and but then the dreams kind of change and he seems to travel across time and space although it does seem like to him it's sort of a dream, but maybe it's not. Maybe he is using the math because he's starting to do really well at that. And here is a description, small one, of where he goes to. The pavement from which he easily raised himself was of a vein, the polished stone beyond his power to identify. And the tiles were cut in a bizarre angled shapes which struck him as less asymmetrical than based on some unearthly symmetry whose laws he could not comprehend. The balustrade was chest-high, delicate, and fantastically wrought. 
while along the rail were ranged at short intervals little figures of grotesque design and exquisite workmanship. And that is why I'm drinking, or, well, it's not why I chose it, but why it fits. Over the Moon Milk Stout, the yes. front cover, has a moon with a face with a Guinness perched on top. Nice. <laughs> and then it looks like maybe the sun is really sad also behind a cloud looking, or we have two moons. Huh. Or we're looking at where Gilman went across time and space, and these are two of the... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad that you chose that quote because I, I was, the, the story I picked, I, I actually stayed away from the descriptions of the odd geometry that Lovecraft was always doing. But I, I'm, I'm actually glad you did that because I'm glad that's in there because that is one of the things about Lovecraft I like. I'm not going to finish the story, but I do have a couple more little tiny things. Mm -hmm. This particular story is one where people say that it has some Christian satanic type of imagery because there is the black man of the witch cult who's also known as Nerodhotep of the Necronomicon, which uh -huh. you may also recognize from the Ash Evil Dead series. Yep. Uh, so he takes place here. In other stories, he looks more like, uh, he sort of has Egyptian type of uh, what he looks like. Mm -hmm. and uh, but he's all black completely black like ebony black and and i want to read this to illustrate the one bit of satanic bit that lovecraft used here because he also talks about how brown jenkin in folklore of the town within the story would be used to take messages back and forth between the witch and her devil master so that he actually used the word devil also hmm. starts here with a dream that he's in and he's with the witch which is uh, another word for which is Beldame, which means here when I get to there, the evilly grinning Beldame still clutched him, and beyond the table stood a figure he had never seen before, a tall, lean man of dead black coloration, but without the slightest sign of negroid features, wholly devoid of either hair or beard, and wearing as his only garment a shapeless robe of some heavy black fabric. His feet were indistinguishable because of the table and bench, but he must have been shod since there was a clicking Whenever he changed position. <laughs> yep. And later and on, he clicking. does think it's because of cloven hooves. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I want to read that particular one, not only so you get that flavor of the satanic bit, which he doesn't use much, but to point out that this is one story where even though he's a black man, he's using the color black to signify evil, but he's not in any way relating that to uh, colored people, to, to blacks. Right. Which is great. Because that is one of the issues with H.P. Lovecraft. Well, I, th I think it's one of the issues with most of the writers of that time. Because Robert E. Howard had that same problem. Yeah, and, and we may talk about that sometime, but we do usually bring it up simply because uh, that's what it was. And it's bullshit, and, but it's okay to read the literature and understand that it was bullshit and appreciate what wasn't. Yeah, and just when you read it, just be aware that it's a product of its time, not something that a writer of today would probably do unless they were an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm of that school of thought that you teach these things so yes. you don't forget it and you don't backslide into being that sort of shithead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they try to get him to sign the book, which sounds like a deal with the devil. Ha <laughs> mm -hmm. future episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and there, there is more. He starts to really freak out and he starts to sleepwalk and he tries to get help from his classmate and I'm not going to give away the ending because it's a really good story it's a fairly 
long short story. So, but I, I highly recommend it. I think it's great. Jody and I have mentioned once or twice, maybe doing a podcast where we're going to like a separate one from this one where we'll do some reading of dramatizations of books like this. Yeah. And there's a good chance that this will be one of my first picks. So I would say read it, but if not, maybe sometime in the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially if it goes public domain. I'm, was this one public domain? Cause we were this talking about that. One is yesterday. Not yet. So okay. we, we would have to see where this one lies because I yeah. don't think it is yet. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, that's my favorite, and and I've got many H.P. Lovecraft stories I could talk about, but oh yeah, we, definitely, we, definitely, we agreed to do one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. Yes, uh, I, and I, I I I have read that one. I do enjoy it. But my favorite, if you're ready for that, I'm ready. I'm gonna put Yay. the price in my face while you tell me. Okay, my favorite is a story that recently has been talked about being made into a feature film by a several but yeah yeah well it's uh guillermo del toro ah he's good i think um that's yeah that's his name right yeah 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 um did pan's labyrinth and uh the the first couple of hellboy movies Uh uh-huh yeah anyway yeah he was uh he he's been trying to get this movie made for a while or at least was and it's an adaptation of at the mountains of madness nice Uh, and and I, I'm not entirely sure what it is about this story that I have just loved, but I, for some reason, uh, you know, because I've read quite a bit of Lovecraft stuff, and this one to me has just always jumped out and, and has always been my favorite one. He originally wrote it in early 1931, I think around, around February or March, and it was rejected uh, by Weird Tales magazine because it was too long. Eventually, it was published, uh, Astounding Stories, published it in 1936. They serialized it over three issues. Uh, He wrote it as a firsthand account by a geologist, Dr. William Dyer, who was part of a 1930 Antarctic expedition sponsored by... Coca-Cola. Yeah, no. um, (laughs) (laughs) Miskatonic University, which you mentioned. Lovecraft used Miskatonic and, uh, and, and the town of Arkham quite a bit. And, and Arkham, uh, Lovecraft's writings and the mention of Arkham is where DC Comics got Arkham Asylum for the Batman stuff. <laughs> so as, uh, as, as Dyer's writing this, this account, he, uh, he, he specifies that he knows that he will not be believed, uh, that he will be ridiculed in spite of the evidence, um, even photographic evidence, which he says that skeptics will say was faked. Uh, he decides he needs to tell what happened anyway, even if no one will believe him, mostly because there's another Antarctic expedition uh, that's that's gearing up, and he would like to stop it if possible. There's uh, some foreshadowing of, of what is to come later in the story. Dun, dun, uh, dun. Yeah. Um, during the voyage. Uh, vo- voyage? <laughs> I thought you were trying to mash up Vortex and Voyage for a second. Apparently, I was asking for more porridge and <laughs> on a voyage. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some more voyage? Voyage. <laughs> All right. So during this voyage south, as they start to get into the, I guess, Antarctic Circle or whatever, uh, Dyer sees shapes in the mist that make him think of. Uh, and this is a quote from the from the story: "The battlements of unimaginable cosmic castles." Oh. Yeah. And and as they near the, the continent of Antarctica, mountains 
become visible in the distance through the desolate summits swept ranging intermittent gusts of the terrible Antarctic wind, whose cadences sometimes held vague suggestions of a wild and half sentient musical piping with notes extending over a wide range and which for some subconscious mnemonic reason seemed to me disquieting and even dimly terrible. Um, so there's a biologist on the team, uh, a guy named um, Lake. Ooh, can I, can I jump in and then, then you can see? Yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure if you're done yet. Yeah. H. Lovecraft does really good things with music. He talks about that in, in that story. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another shorter one where a guy's in a, a life craft, uh, lifeboat because of a shipwreck. And that happens. Uh, the music of Eric Zahn is one of my oh, favorites. yeah. And that's in yeah. there. So it's really neat how he uses eerie otherworldly music to create an atmosphere when you read it. Yes. So uh, this other guy, uh, Lake, the biologist on the team, once they've reached Antarctica and they've started doing uh, the geological samples, uh, like drilling out geological cores, uh, they notice some weird fossils and stuff. And, and this guy Lake on the team, he, uh, he, he points out, he says, oh, this is odd. But, you know, Dyer is just like, oh, that's just, you know, a natural phenomenon. I'm the geologist. I think it's just a natural. So they've got several airplanes on this expedition um, so that they can fly to different points in Antarctica. And during one of their observational flights, Dyer, with some more foreshadowing, mentions distant mountains floated in the sky like enchanted cities. Floating. See, there's that weird floating thing. So Lake, because he had found this, this, this weird fossil in the core samples, he takes, because they had like five planes in the expedition, he takes four of them, convinces them that they got to go west instead of east like they wanted to go because they think that's the, where the vein of rock that they found these fossils in actually originates. So he wants to go west. They, they're they letting him do this. He, he, he goes off to the west with all these planes and most of the dogs they have for the expedition. And he communicates several times uh, as he makes more and more discoveries. They find a mountain range that looks like it dwarfs the Himalayas. Structures that he, he wishes Dyer was there to see because in the mountain, these structures in the mountains are reminiscent of castle ramparts and cave openings that appear to be worked openings. Some of them are square and some of them are arched while weird blasting. Shapes. Yeah, yeah, weird shapes. While blasting and drilling for more specimens, uh, they discover a cave filled with fossils covering a wide range of geological epochs. Epochs or whatever that fucking word is. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those is right, but I'm going to drink anyway. And I got yeah. your shadowing earlier too, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. I, they they uncover some weird fossils. They uh, they don't know what they are. I'm going to be vague about that. But the, <laughs> the, but the sledge dogs that they have with them become more and more agitated. Uh, one of these fossils they, they found, Lake communicates back to the base camp that it reminds him of a description he read in the Necronomicon. There's another reference to the Necronomicon. And actually, evil and vicious of books. Yeah. And this, this story actually makes reference to several other Lovecraft stories. Um, and uh, of, <laughs> and this, is, this is the funny one. Um, as, as more specimens are uncovered of these weird fossils, um, some of them are complete. Uh, the first one they found was actually missing some parts. Lake claims they are also like creatures seen in paintings by a man named Clark Ashton Smith. Do you recognize that name? He sounds like that sounds like one of the names of one of his contemporaries. It is. Um, crap. 
Yeah, go yeah. ahead though. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is his name. That's his name. Oh, Paul that Dash is his name. That's, well, yeah. Okay. yeah, he was a contemporary and friend of Lovecraft. And with Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard, he was one of the big three contributors to Weird Tales magazine. Eventually, they lose communication with Lake. Dyer and several others, including a student named Dan Forth, fly out to the coordinates Lake had provided. So Dyer describes this flight to the, the coordinates that Lake had provided for where he had camped. Every incident of that four and a half hour flight is burned into my recollection because of its crucial position in my life. It marked my loss at the age of 54 of all that peace and balance which the normal mind possesses through its accustomed conception of external nature and nature's laws. Thenceforward, the 10 of us, but the student Danforth and myself above all others, were to face a hideously amplified world of lurking horrors which nothing can erase from our emotions and which we would refrain from sharing with mankind in general if we could. <laughs> that's such a lovecraftian thing yeah everybody goes insane when they realize there's not just us <laughs> yeah so he he sees the mountains kind of at the diff at the distance and uh he goes on to describe it it was as if these stark nightmare spires marked the pylons of a frightful gateway into forbidden spheres of dream and complex gulfs of remote time space and ultra dimensionality I could not help feeling that they were evil things, mountains of madness whose farther slopes looked out over some accursed ultimate abyss. Um, yeah. So they find Lake's camp. Everybody's dead. Um, except <laughs> everybody's dead, Dave. Dave, yeah. everybody's yeah. dead. <laughs> everybody's dead, Dave. Um, <laughs> except for one guy. And they don't know if he's dead or not because he's missing looks like all the dogs are dead and then they had like 30 some dogs there camp is destroyed although they're not sure if it was by a fierce storm which they had also experienced the wind from um, that came from the direction of where the camp was or if it was something else that had destroyed it they find some of the really weird specimens that lake had described and they had been buried not naturally by you know snow drifts and a windstorm it looks like they had literally been intentionally buried but in a way that was you know kind of alien to them uh they don't report back everything they find to the base camp and af after they they deal with that uh dyer and danforth kind of go ahead towards the mountains they they take one of the planes and fly on and uh, he he describes that the touch of evil mystery in these barrier mountains and in the beckoning sea of opalescent sky glimpsed betwixt their summits was a highly subtle and attenuated matter not to be explained in literal words. Rather, was it an affair of vague psychological symbolism and aesthetic association, things mixed up with exotic poetry and paintings and with archaic myths lurking in shunned and forbidden volumes. Yeah. <laughs> but from there, um, he actually, when they get into the mountains, he actually describes they they find some information that uh it goes into some detail on the history of the old ones and the elder gods from the cthulhu mythos i'm not going to go into detail on that or describe <laughs> the end of the story because uh it, you have to you have to experience it i, I think <laughs> yeah yeah at that point uh, and i think that may be part of the reason why i like this story so much um is is that section of the story the later half um when they're actually exploring what they find in the mountains and and all that the things they see 
and uh, Danforth's break with reality. (laughs) 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 You know, but yeah, I just, it, uh, I love the, I love the story. Uh, The 1950s, the thing from another world or whatever it was, which was remade in the early 1980s by John Carpenter as the thing. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a closer adaptation to the original short story than what the fifties version was. Um, And I know they've remade John Carpenter's version here within the last 10, 15 years or so that I never did go see. Big bang fans out there. When the boys go to uh, the the Arctic circle at the end of season, what, three, maybe four, right before, because the beginning of the next seasons with Leonard and Pity start dating. What should we watch? And, And that is one of the movies they choose and they choose it because it's a snowy, so although Arctic versus Antarctic, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same type of thing. Yes, that's one of my favorite episodes of <laughs> Big Bang. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's um, that's that's pretty much what I got. Um, I, it's 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 one of Lovecraft's more celebrated stories, so definitely an easier one to find. We should probably let everybody go, since otherwise yeah. this will go even further and further down. I was going to say rabbit holes, but it sounds more like mountains of madness holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, scary. So go scare yourselves and read these two stories. A- and others. Right. But these two specifically. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or read them and don't be scared, whatever, you know. Yeah. I, you know, for a long time when I started reading Lovecraft, I would either only read it during the day, which was hard because I was working nights, or I would read it at the beginning of my shift. Because I was working in radio and I really didn't have to do much so I could sit there and read in between songs or during songs. So I'd read it at the beginning of my shift and then stop (laughs) (laughs) at at a good point so that when I did go home and go to bed, I wasn't, it wasn't that fresh in my head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nice. I actually read them when I was doing overnight shifts at a hotel when I was working there when I was going through school. (laughs) uh, It's two in the morning and you're there by yourself and you're reading these. You know, when you have a good imagination like us, it's yeah, not, it's not good. <laughs> that was that was a good thing at the radio station. We we actually there were two stations as part of the the broadcast group, so there was already there was always someone across the hall from me. <laughs> so I was never alone in the building. <laughs> yeah, you hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, though, I think that's it. Unless you have All anything right. else. No, no, that's uh, that's it for me. Cool. Then until next time, I'm James. I'm Jody. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Not even really tired. I just need oxygen to the brain. <laughs> Could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I did anything overly but there may be a few little tidbits here and there that 15 years ago, not a big deal. Now, maybe. The balustrade. The balustrade? The balustrade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on, I mispronounced. I gotta take a drink and I'll start that again. God damn it.